Here's to the woman who keeps it 100% pure, raw, and unfiltered. Take that back. She will rock a fake leather, a fake tan, and an occasional fake eyelash. She'll throw down some fake grass, fake smiles, fake concern. And she has faked his signature like a thousand times. She has even put up with a few fake friends, but that's it. Otherwise, yeah, she keeps it real, right down to the honey she keeps on her table. Nature Nates. Ingredients. Honey. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. I was in my early 40s With a lot of life before me When a moment came that stopped me on a dime I spent most of the next days Looking at the x-rays Talking about the options And talking about sweet time I asked him when it sank in this might really be the real end How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? And he said I went skydiving I went Rocky Mountain climbing I went 2.7 seconds On a bull named Blue Manchu And I loved deeper And I spoke sweeter And I Forgiveness, I've been denying. And he said, Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, worldwide, toll free 1 800 610 7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, Radio TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxonation, is Julia Sante. And we're going to be talking to Julie this hour about the last frontier, exploring the afterlife and transforming our fear of death. Now, Julie is an author, an established social historian of the ancient near-death um, Near East, I'm sorry, at, with a PhD from Columbia University. Yet for over three decades, she has also been an active professional intuitive. In her book, The Last Frontier, Exploring the Afterlife and Transforming Our Fear of Death, she applies the insights and the methodologies gained from 
the fields in order to present a uniquely rigorous investigation of where we go after we die. Her website is www.juliasante.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-A-S-S-A-N-T-E.com, juliaasante.com. And joining me now is Julia. And Julia, welcome to the X-Zone. Well, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Tell me, Julia, in your opinion, why do we fear death? Well, um, that's an old fear. It comes uh, partly from religion, and it comes partly from uh, social institutions. The in fear of death in religion started around uh, the first millennium, mm-hmm. 1000 B.C. Uh, it's actually quite late. And... Uh, that had to do with uh, systems of morality, the invention of sin, which was even later, about 500 B.C. Um, so there's been, in almost all systems of institutional religions, uh, a fear of death, fear of, of even if it uh, takes the form of having a bad reincarnation because of your moral um, strength was not strong enough hmm. in the life before. So there's that end of it. Uh, on the institutional end, the fear of death is greatly exploited. Um, just think of the medical industry, or pharmaceuticals, or insurance industries, or the war industry. Even the way we we teach history yeah. is marked by uh, catastrophe and extraordinary deaths, but especially in the news and entertainment. And this is where you see a kind of a schizophrenic relationship with death. On the one hand, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it to the dying. We don't talk about it to the children. But on the other hand, we're obsessed with it in in terms of uh, in, uh, news and entertainment. You and I have to take a first uh, two-minute commercial break. Please stand by, Julia. Exonation okay. Julia Asante is my special guest, and her website is www.juliaasante.com. We're talking about... Exploring the last frontier this hour here in the Exxon, and we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network Channel X starts tomorrow, or yes, shortly after midnight at www.xzbnchx.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Julia Asante is my special guest, www.juliaasante.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. And we're talking about the final frontier or the last frontier, exploring the afterlife and transforming our fear of death. Julia, you're a scholar, you're an intuitive, you're a medium. Where, if any place, do do these um, three rather different professions cross well i'm i'm a big believer that um intuition is disciplined by mm-hmm. critical thinking okay. and critical thinking is expanded by intuition so even in my academic work i use intuition first uh, looking at the material in a very critical way using intuition to drive my questions and that really has seemed to work. I've done some pretty revolutionary things in my own field, mm-hmm. ancient Near East. At the same time, as um, as an intuitive or as a medium, uh, the critical aspects of the way I think help to discipline what I'm doing and further it and analyze it. And that's that's what happened with the the last frontier. Was, you know, I'm trained to look at exotic terrains. I'm right. trained to look at exotic cultures. And I would say the afterlife is one. All right, so, so I was able to apply it to that. Tell me what happens as we, as we start failing in this mortal body, and we prepare to go into the next stage of our evolution, as I believe it, that we call death. Well, for each person, it's different. For each culture, it's different. But generally, there's a uh, an overall weakening mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, the hold on this reality becomes thinner as you start to change focus from physical to non-physical. And uh, as you know, a person leaves their bodies, uh, leaves a physical body. This is actually witnessed by more and more people now. Yes. The, the energy body leaving. And then afterwards, it depends on your state of mind. It depends on your expectations. But just in general, for modern Western uh, humans, uh, in general, there's a sense of astonishment, um, uh, of your uh, looking down on your body, of the life that was lived, a kind of disconnect that's sort of immediate, a sense of incredible freedom, uh, love, understanding, and what I call the presence, which is a uh, sort of a luminous knowing light. And uh, people, I've seen people actually float into that, or mm-hmm. they float into, uh, sort of disappear for a second and then float into a landscape of some sort, like uh, exotic gardens or city, crystal cityscapes, or whatever it is that, that speaks to them most strongly. These are the ones who uh, cross over in a very positive way, who are, have accepted the dying process, who are looking, even looking forward to it. Um, and from there, mm-hmm. anything can happen. But very often in the beginning, there's a kind of, um, I call it a vacation period, especially if the, if the dying process has been extreme. Is the dying process um, governed by a person's own religious philosophies? It can interfere with it, uh, and in some cases it can help. There seems to be almost uh, inborn mechanisms that that kick in Mm -hmm. during the dying process, which is now being called nearing-death awareness. Yes. Or are now called... these involve a lot of shifts in the psyche. Uh, the psyche has a drive towards reconciliation, towards resolution, and how the psyche creates that, how it orchestrates the people around it, around the dying, the people around uh, 
uh, even from the other side, uh, is, is quite remarkable. I mean, it's uh, actually miraculous what the psyche can do in order to prepare for death. It's a kind of acceleration towards dying. Uh, people expand a great deal towards the end of, towards, in that process of the dying process. Um, and there's also visions, you know, of people from the other side who are coming to escort them or to talk to them or to reassure them. And at the very end, very many people have what we call uh, an afterlife vision where the actual um, threshold seems to open and they see where they're going. And that's what Steve Jobs was saying when, I'm, I'm absolutely certain when he, with his last words, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So which came first, the academic or the medium intuitive? Medium intuitive. Really? That went on a long, long time. And it, it, as an academic, I had to pretend I didn't have that background. Yeah. So, so have you always been a believer in the afterlife? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I would say so. I, I had a few doubts in my teen mm-hmm. years, but, you know, I've had a, um, a near-death experience. I had, when I was a very young child, I had a lot of strong mystical experiences with this sense of infinity uh, and the presence I just spoke about. So that's always really been there. And I was born mm-hmm. in, uh, in a climate of death. Really? Yeah, and I think that's what started it all. How, how, my, mother, my mother was grieving for the death of her infant son and her father when I was born. Oh, my heavens. Yeah, so, oh. um, you know, it was, it was a, you know, we always teach what we need to learn. True. Right? True. And I think, uh, yeah, that was my work for, for myself and for our family. It was just too much grief. Where does reincarnation come in, and what, in your opinion... Is the purpose of reincarnation? Hmm. Well, then you're asking, what is the purpose of life on Earth? Um, it's self-fulfillment, creativity, um, expression. And reincarnation, uh, anyone who's had a near-death experience comes back with a belief in reincarnation. Uh, early Christianity also endorsed reincarnation. It was stamped out around 300 A.D., um, Systems of reincarnation, older systems of reincarnation that are hierarchical are things that I've not found any proof for. Uh, also, uh, researchers have not. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of karmic debt uh, has not been found in terms of research, and there's been a considerable amount of research on reincarnation. For me, I understand reincarnation in simultaneous time, and that means that all your reincarnations are happening at once. That also means that when a reincarnated personality is in the afterlife. It is that personality in the afterlife. So you right. don't really just hop from one body to another and abandon the personality from before. What happens is that you start to absorb all of the other incarnations, future ones as well. Future ones operate on us now as well. They influence us now too. So does this bring in the concept of multiple dimensions and and existence at, at the same time, simultaneously, not only in this dimension or in this realm of reality, but in many others as well? It's exactly what it does, yeah. Reincarnation and how it operates in the afterlife, mm-hmm. um, and and from research that we have now, is one one facet of that simultaneity. But it's a strong one. I, I for one, could never understand that if we are born and we live this lifetime and when we pass on we come back to to this very same lifetime 
That made no sense to me. Why? Well, <laughs> why would we come back to the same place that we left instead of going f- further on? Because if you listen to New Age spirituality and those who believe in it, we go on to a next level. So if we go to a next level, why would we have to come back to the same level that we just left? It makes no sense. Oh, sometimes uh, when you're talking about levels, which is actually something I, I try to avoid, mm-hmm. you have incarnations in your past that have certainly been at higher, so-called higher levels than now, in the same way that you were probably, all of us, rather, in our childhoods were probably more spiritually advanced than we are now. But how do we know reincarnation is real and not just a myth or a legend? Well, uh, a lot of it can be documented. If you look at the records, and I have a lot of this in in The Last Frontier, if you look Mm -hmm. at the records from past life therapists, for instance, um, documentation can be quite strong of a person's memory. Birth dates, they find the birth certificates, they find the death certificates, uh, one outstanding case is a woman in Brazil who went, was uh, regressed into a past life, and she got these numbers on her arm and told of this life in a Nazi camp. Mm-hmm. And they sent the number to Israel, only the number, and got exactly the same sort of information that she delivered. Um, this number came out like a burn mark on mm-hmm. her arm, and it faded. Um, children, uh, this is Ian Stevenson, a great researcher in reincarnation, a very heavy-duty academic, unfortunately passed away, um, has seen up to 90% accuracy rate in children's memories in India, Turkey, and right. many other places. Is it possible that what is believed to be reincarnation is an ability to to grasp onto a memory or an action that may have happened at some time in history, and this person is like a multi-band radio and able to tune into this memory? Well, you know, um, if you look at the, the bigger research, where they take a thousand people, mm-hmm. and, um, and then they start to analyze the social situations of these people, almost uh, 80, 90 percent of them are absolutely meaningless in terms of history. Right. They have no influence on history whatsoever. Um, there are also many who are in, impoverished in their past life memories, and very few or none have any prominence. So I would say that uh, coming up with dreary lives or so-so lives, uh, humdrum lives, uh, is not a factor in historical memory. But is it a possibility? Yeah. If you If you took... For instance, um, a creative writer mm-hmm. who had some kind of historical ability, you know, knew something about history, mm-hmm. uh, you could probably get some pretty wild stories that you could place in the past. It is a possibility, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we, 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 all, we all try to understand how psychic phenomena works and how, uh, you know, the, the, the abilities of the brain, the mind, we've only scratched 10% or we're only using 10%. So it opens up a an entirely new possibility. And, uh, you know, there's so many wonders out there that I often wonder how how we can be so darn sure that this is the way it really works. Because we know so little. Yeah. Well, at least we're starting to look. Exactly. And we're starting to look in a more rigorous way than ever. And, and you know this is the first time 
since Julia, I hate to do this, but you and I have to take our news break. I'm sorry oh, I got so involved sure, in the conversation sure, that I wasn't watching my clock. Julia Santi is my special guest, and we'll be back on the other side of this break. After the news, don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com You're listening to the Exxon Radio Show with my good friend, Earthling Rob McConnell, live and around the world on Talkstar. www.exoneradio.com Explanation, uh, Julia Asante is my special guest this hour, www.juliaasante.com. And uh, she is the author of a very interesting book. It's called The Last Frontier, Exploring the Afterlife and Transforming Our Fear of Death. And um, what are some of the most common questions you get asked by by people when you go out and do interviews or you go out and, and speak about your book and talk about life after death? Well, one of them is the one you, you asked me, what's it like? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens after we die? Um, another big one is, how do we know that after-death communication isn't fantasy? Yeah. And my answer to that is, is because in after-death communication, um, there's real change. Real change occurs. A person has an experience with each with the idea of immortality, with eternity, it can be a life-changing event, mm-hmm. a life-changing event that grows stronger over time. But also, uh, it's what occurs during an uh, afterlife encounter is usually a surprise. And spontaneous ones do not come when people are expecting them or wanting them, generally. They come when, you're, when you least expect them. But more than that, in an afterlife encounter, you could be warned, say, uh, it could save your life. Fantasies can't save your life. There's a new kind of therapy out called induced after-death communication therapy, which is using a certain technique to allow the patient to interact uh, with a pertinent departed person. How does that and work? It, How does that work? Um, it's one of these eye movement things, mm-hmm. and uh, it happens very, very quickly. The session's can last maybe 20 minutes with only a few seconds in after-death communication itself, and it is doing things like clearing up post-traumatic stress disorder long-standing for decades since the Vietnam War in a matter of seconds. 
Is that's this part is this fantasy. is this part of hip, hypnotic regression? No, it has nothing to do with it actually. Um, it's uh, this guy named Alan Botkin is the one who discovered it, and he's all over the website. If people want to look at it, Alan Botkin, B-O-T-K-I-N, um, induced after death communication therapy, and it's doing wonders for veterans. So how does it work? Um, I'm not really sure what it does with the brain, but it just sort of, I think what it's doing is sort of getting the left brain out of the way, and um, the dead, the departed, are always there. They're ready to jump in. You know, they don't have the same sense of time. They use time much differently than we than we do, and um, it seems that when you need them and there's that window, they jump in, and this is what's occurring in the offices of these types of therapists, and these types of therapists are now all over there in Europe, all over the United States. Uh, if you let the the dead in, incredible things happen. But but once again, once again, this is the skeptic coming out of me the 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 ex Why? the ex police investigator who de, you know needs evidence. Right. How do we know that it's just not another type of 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 way that the human brain or the mind is clearing this them uh, by itself and that there is no interaction with death that uh, with those who have departed that it's just memories within the the subject themselves that are coming forward how do we know there's an actual interaction with someone who's departed okay one of my favorite examples in in uh, for this is a woman who uh is at home alone mm -hmm. and she sees her teenage daughter dead Mm -hmm. but alive, you know, with her father, the woman's father. So the, the daughter is with the daughter's grandfather, and the grandfather the grandfather says to his living daughter, don't worry, honey, I've got her, she's fine. So this is a woman seeing her daughter as having passed over. Mm -hmm. Shortly afterward, the police show up at the door to inform this woman that her daughter has just died in a fatal car accident. Can that be fantasy? Can that be memory? Could that could that be the bond between a mother and a daughter being so so strong that through some some sort of psychic connection or or a connection that we do not yet understand has triggered this response and the only, and the person who has had this apparition this vision this feeling believes that the only person or they bring in the father from the other side in their mind as as a safety factor, knowing that the father, if there is another side, would be taking care of his granddaughter. What do you mean, knowing that? What do you mean? <laughs> how would the woman know that? It's just, listen. And how would she be expecting it? Okay, the, you're talking about a precognition yes. or telepathy yeah, between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the biggest stumbling block in all of this. The idea that any of this information can be known by the living. Well, it's, it's very simple. I'm a dad. I've got six kids. Wow. I get a gut feeling when something is wrong. When I was on the police force driving in a cruiser, a marked car, I get that feeling that something wasn't right with the vehicle in front of me. Mm -hmm. Turn on the turn on the flashers, pull the car over, and bang, you've got something. Mm -hmm. So that's intuition. Right. All right, so how do we know that, that these New Age uh, treatments are actually using, or, or, or these people are actually communicating with the dead, that they're just not communicating with 
an emotional feeling or something within their own system, their own mind, their own bar, heart, their own their own brain. Why do we have to bring the dead into everything that we don't understand that? You know, I, do you I, think we do that? No. I don't. Uh, I think I think we leave the dead out of so many things the dead are already doing. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I see it from another point of view entirely. I I, I appreciate that, uh, but you know, it's there's a lot of of supposition when it comes to new age reality and spirituality, and there's a lot of woos out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people oh, yeah, making right. a lot right. of people making false claims. Yeah. And a lot of psychics making false claims, and then you've yeah. got the bunch of wackos who are who have made false claims about uh, December the twenty first, twenty twelve, and the list goes on and on and on. Why is it that we need to use any part of spirituality, the paranormal, psychic phenomena, to try and understand life when it life itself needs to be understood without trying to bring in something that makes no sense at all? You mean afterlife making no sense at all? Uh, yeah, I don't buy it. I, wow. I really don't buy it. Mm-hmm. No, that's just my belief. That's fine. No, that's yeah. fine. I, I really like skeptics, by the way. You know, it's like there's so much to understand. Like we as a, we as a species love to give credit where credit is not due. For right. example, instead of taking accolades for something that a person has worked very hard for, thank you, God. Well, wait a minute. God had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I totally agree there. Yeah. Yep. Or, totally or, agree. Or, or we seem to use the unseen for either accolades or blame. Oh, geez, you know, the, the devil made me do it. It had to be right. something, a negative power that overtook me because I would never do that myself. Right. Like, give me a break. There's nothing passive about afterlife encounters and after-death communication. It isn't done to you. You mm-hmm. participate in it. Well, and it's usually very shocking. Well, here there's I am. Also, there's also one, one more thing that I wanted, want that? to say, besides the fact that it, you can separate it from fantasy mm-hmm. and you can separate it from memory. <clears throat> and that is, for me, mm-hmm. I, it hits me like an electrical current really? when there's a presence and tingling all over my body, sometimes to the point of almost passing out. Wow. And more and more people are feeling that, especially if um, I'm there as a kind of a transmitter. Mm-hmm. But once you start feeling that, you have a reference point for what I, I call it the tingling. Uh, it, it continues to develop. And that is not about uh, wishful thinking, and that is not about memory, and that's not about intuition. That's about a palpable, physical reaction to an electrical organized consciousness. So why is it then? And and I'm working uh, in the next couple of years with a machine that can pick it up. So we might have some good proof in a couple of years. So why is it then? Why is it then that only certain people can do this and that not everybody that walking down the street can? Everybody walking down the street can. Then why don't they? But look at the avoidance we've had. You, I mean, realize, um, Rob, that since... Uh, 700 BC, mm-hmm. there's been uh, necromancy was punished by death, by stoning. It's been uh, completely uh, forbidden. And this, this is something that we've inherited from Judaism. It's in all the Abrahamic religions. 
uh, think of all the words around uh, around death and the dead. I mean, they're horrible words. The 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 grave. Well, wait uh, a sec. How, how can you say that? How can you say that uh, when when Christianity is based upon a figure who is dead? Yeah. So so how do you rationalize that? I know it's almost impossible to rationalize it, but it just is. I mean, the idea of necromancy, the idea of communicating with the dead has been a taboo. Yeah, but yet, in, in, in religious philosophies, it is the way that you communicate. Because you pray to God, you pray to Jesus, you, yeah, you pray to the saints. They're not equivalent to your dead, your dead uh, aunt. But what makes them different? Well, a uh, dead aunt is nothing that, uh, necessarily divine. Uh, there are traditions in earlier Christianity, mm-hmm. for instance, that you shouldn't disturb the dead if God calls them, mm-hmm. and that's one one side of it. Um, Jesus, who is considered divine by uh, Christians, uh, by Christians, mm-hmm. yeah, that's something else. Praying to God and praying to his divine Son, as it's understood, uh, are, are is an entirely different level of. But look at look at prayer. I mean, prayer depends on telepathy, right? Yes. Without it, 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 what's the point of it? Telepathy with another dimension. Well, an alleged other and dimension. And prayer does work. We have that documented. Is it prayer that works, or is it the will of the people joining a common cause that works? Same thing. Mm, I think one is part of the, of the the woo-woo factor. There, the intention is there. I think one Whether part... How, how, it's tra- how that intention is transmitted, if it's transmitted telepathically or an axe doesn't, you know, you're still uh, going to have an effect. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I myself have never had anybody communicate with me from the other side. I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen a UFO. I don't think that Loch Ness is a real monster because, once again, there's no <laughs> evidence. And it seems that the New Age genre depends on the fact that it, the, the specific categories only exist as long as there is no evidence to prove to the contrary. Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, there's tons and tons of evidence for after-death communication. Uh, really, tons of it. Just, it's not proof, it's evidence. Where? And Yeah, well, read some of the sections in my own book. Uh, read books on this topic. Um, Read some of the research that's being done now with mediums. Not my favorite type of research, but still, yeah. uh, it's it's the chances of of uh, of things just being imaginary or what they call a cold hit, or you know, like a million to one. Don't you think that that the dead should stay dead and they should be respected and left alone, and that the living should be able to figure out their own problems? Or are we using the are we using the 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 dearly departed as a crutch for our own inability to continue on in, in life, or to be successful? No, I think very I, well. Okay, internally, most of us, probably even you, Rob, mm-hmm. uh, when something goes wrong, we often switch and you know start uh, praying to something or talking to somebody in our heads. You know, can you help me, Grandma, or whatever it is someone who's passed. That seems to be a natural thing. People do it all the time, and they've been hmm. doing it for the last 30,000 years. I must be strange because I don't do that. I bet you have. I bet you I haven't. 
All right. Okay. Well, we'll leave that there. Um, <laughs> so, but using them as a crutch, no. Mm. A support and crutches are two very different things. You use other people as a support, right? And you call friends. Why yes. not? Does a friend have to be physical? No. In my case, yes. Okay. Fine. If you're getting if you're getting what you need, but it'd be nice if you were open to uh, even more. And it's not just we, the living, getting so much from the dead. The mm-hmm. dead need us, too. Very often in, uh, when there's been uh, uh, an unexpected death, an accidental death, even suicides or whatever, uh, they are often desperate to contact us. We dismiss them. All right, stand by. We, We've got to take our final break. We'll right. be back shortly. Exonation. our guest this hour is Julia Asante. That's www.juliaassante. dot com, and uh, we're talking this hour about the last frontier, exploring the afterlife, and transforming our fear of death. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with Julia as we continue and wrap up this hour here in the X Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away now. Last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress. Well, Mama washed and combed and curled my hair, and she painted my eyes and lips. Then I stepped into a satin dancing dress that had a split from the side, clean up to my heel. It was red velvet trimming, and it fit me good. And standing back from the looking glass, there stood a woman where a half-grown kid had stood. She said. Exonation, uh, Julia Asante is my special guest this hour, www.juliaasante.com. What is the message, Julia, that you want readers to, to have when they finish your book? That the universe is benign. That's, That's a... really my main message. It's benign. It's uh, fundamentally aligned with good. Uh, yes, and that the fear of death is really really have us, has us in a stranglehold, and if we can liberate ourselves from that, uh, we'll have a, a, quite a different universe. Could it be that the, it's the fear of death is fundamental because we know, or many people believe, that once you're dead, that's it, game over? Yeah, there's a lot of people who do believe that. This is a new belief, right? This is not something that people believed in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. So why do, why do you... New. The point is that we're actually starting to question all of this. And as we question whether there is an afterlife, mm-hmm. we're also questioning the nature of the afterlife. So those two questions are going hand to hand, hand in hand. They're feeding each other. In the 19th, 18th century, you couldn't do something like this. So we're making a lot of progress. And it's changing the way we look at the way we live, not just the way we die and not just what happens after we die. How is this going to make a change in the way that people look at life? 
Well, if you looked at life from a perspective of immortality, mm-hmm. uh, really an awful lot of minor stresses would fall away. Uh, needs for competition would fall away. We know this already. Uh, people who have lost the fear of death change uh, rapidly and, and extremely, even their intelligence quotients rise. So if we had a, um, a planet mm-hmm. uh, with residents who all had this idea of immortality, then we wouldn't be choking the planet with overpopulation, for instance. We would understand that what we're doing in physical body is actually a flash in the pan. It's a gorgeous experiment. Um, but in the overall sense of, of the eternal self, it doesn't play that huge a role. And enjoy, and enjoy it more. Play. But don't you think don't people would take more? Hard. Don't you think that people would take more risks than they do now? That you could actually be opening up a can of worms that could backfire dramatically. No, they do take more risks without the fear of death. They're, because they're, they're operating more from their authentic selves and less from fear. I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, risk taking doesn't mean putting yourself. People who are afraid of death often are the ones who put themselves at risk. They're the ones who are out on the front line uh, experimenting with it, entranced by it, um, attracted to hmm. death. It's not the other way. Once you, uh, once you lose that fear, the reverence for life kicks in. Julia, you and I have to say so long for now. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success. And, um, you. you know, the best of luck with your book and uh, keep the great work up. Thanks so much. You take okay. care of yourself now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Exonation, my guest this hour has been Julia Asante. We've been talking about the last frontier, exploring the afterlife and transforming our fear of death. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, here in the Exxon. Don't go away.